This podcast is brought to you by J.P. Morgan ETFs. Face it, the principles you need to build a stronger portfolio haven't changed, but the tools you need have, which is why J.P. Morgan is bringing new ETF solutions to the marketplace. It's time to evolve your portfolio for a new world. Let's solve it at jpmorgan.am slash trillions. Investing involves risk. J.P. Morgan ETFs are distributed by J.P. Morgan Distribution Services, Inc. Hi, I'm Tom Lydon from ETF Trends. And I'm Yasmin Daya from J.P. Morgan Asset Management. Thank you for joining us for Welcome to the New Age, a podcast about the future of ETFs, produced by Bloomberg Media Studios. We're in Hollywood, Florida, the Inside ETF Conference, the largest gathering of ETF experts in the world. Yasmin, great to see you. Good to see you. This has been a real exciting conference. A lot's been going on, a lot's been going on in the ETF space. but. Boy, after a record-breaking year of assets flowing into ETFs, is this going to slow down anytime soon? It's been quite a ride, right? Lots of great growth. We're now at $3.6 trillion in ETFs in the U.S. But I think we have a really, really long runway ahead of us. And I feel that way for two reasons, really. The first is if you just look at client adoption. Clients are increasingly turning to ETFs to get their investment exposure. And that's across client channel. That breadth is tremendous. It's actually part of the reason that us at JP Morgan joined the ETF industry, because our clients are increasingly accessing investments that way. But secondly, which I think is actually more nuanced and more interesting, really, is the innovation that we're seeing in ETFs around investment strategies. ETFs have been traditionally thought of as pure market cap passive, but that's a backward-looking view. There are some really interesting investment exposures that are coming to market, and what I think that means for clients, and why I think that will continue with the growth, is it will mean that clients will have more exposures to build stronger portfolios. So when you look at that $3.6 trillion, there's $2 trillion in the top 100 ETFs, and most of those are legacy indexes, many of the asset classes that we've seen over the years. So your point is, there's a lot more room on the upside. We're going to see different ideas that are going to hopefully attract as many assets as we've seen in that first 100? Yeah. I mean, it's a very good question because sometimes I think from a client's point of view, what we hear is, gosh, there's a lot of new products. And you look at the numbers and you see last year alone, about 270 new funds were launched but 140 closed. So it sort of begs the question of why do you need more choice? But actually, if you zoom into the product landscape, what you'll see is there are still some notable gaps. So yes, there's areas with large concentration where clients have tons of choice. But then if you look at something like alternatives or fixed income, critical components of a portfolio, there still needs to be more investment choice for clients. It's really actually forward looking. For the last nine years, we've been in a very strong bull market. Those gaps haven't necessarily been that important, really, if you think about it. But think about the next 10 years, what the markets will look like. You do need alternatives in your portfolio. That's going to drive more growth, I think. Well, let's get into it. So you mentioned evolution, um, and there's a lot of evolution in the smart beta space. How, How would you define smart beta, first of all? People define it differently. Quite literally, if you pull the amount of assets in smart, or we call it strategic beta, you'll get two different numbers. The way we define it are rules-based products that do something different than market cap weighting. So you often hear people talk about it as the intersection of passive and active. Passive being rules-based, transparent, efficient, they're indexes. But these are research-driven products, and the rules behind them are based on academic and portfolio management research. So ultimately, for me, what the goal of strategic beta is, 
is to deliver a differentiated risk and return profile. I see them as more outcome driven, actually. Helping a client target the outcome that they want, not just the exposure. Yeah. So when we talk about growth and we talk about the evolution, boy, uh, at the end of the last bear market, we had about 500 billion in assets and now we're at 3.6. Is part of that evolution going to be reverting back to normal periods of volatility? 30-year bull market in bonds, 10-year bull market in stocks. When, when the markets get normal again, is that going to open it up for different strategies like alternatives? A hundred percent. I think that's a really great point you make. We all know volatility is low. And I think most people will agree that it's going to revert back to a more normal level. You have not really needed an alternative in your portfolio for the last nine years. A hedge strategy would not have really been necessary. But think about where equity markets are. Think about where fixed income markets are. What does the next 10 years look for you? Alternatives can play a very important role in a portfolio as a diversifier, particularly if you see an increase in volatility. Here is the challenge for an ETF investor. If you predominantly or exclusively use ETFs, you do not have a lot of choice for your alternative allocation. I have a stat for you, which I think is astounding. Your US large cap in ETFs, you have 145 funds that you can choose from. That represents over $750 billion. US large cap equity in ETFs, you have choice. Alternatives, if you go to the multi-alternative category, which is traditionally thought about as your sort of core alternative allocation, you have eight funds in the ETF industry, representing one and a half billion dollars. Now that gap, again, didn't necessarily mean a lot for a client for the last nine years, just participating in the markets was enough. But you see volatility spike, you're gonna really want an alternative allocation. And so that is why I think having more innovation and more interesting product development in these gaps is critical for the ETF industry. You're traveling almost every week. You're, you're visiting advisors, institutions, some pretty big mandates out there. Talk a little bit about briefly uh, the allocation to alternatives. Are you surprised that there's not enough as far as advisors that are in the audience here? Are these things that we need to be considering, especially at this point in time? Yes, it's a really interesting point because people have been frustrated with their alternatives allocation. Part of it is, again, the markets we've been in, but also it goes to cost and quality. Think about the traditional cost of an alternative, a hedge fund manager. Typical fee structure is a management fee and an incentive fee. So when I talk to institutions, many of them have large hedge fund footprints. They're paying around 1.5% management fee, 17% in incentive fee. That fee changes the equation for an investor because what it means is your return capture is meaningfully reduced. So the question is, can you deliver the same diversifying return, so the benefits of it, at a lower cost? Transfer back that benefit to the investor from the manager. And that, I think, is really where you're gonna see what we call the democratization of hedge fund exposure. The thing I'm most excited about is that story has been playing out outside of the ETF industry. Yeah. There are a lot of folks in the mutual fund space, in, if you think about institutional clients, who have been benefiting from this innovation on lower cost access to alternatives. We call that category of product alternative beta. It has not existed in the ETF industry until more recently. In fact, we launched our first alternative beta strategy a year ago, bringing that capability we were managing since 2009. And the reason we brought it is because ETF investors should have access to that same institutional quality alternative exposure. 
And I think, again, that's going to be a great tailwind for the ETF industry because without those gaps being filled, you really can't build a complete portfolio for the market environment that we're likely entering into. You've been at JP Morgan for a while and also part of the strategic beta team, obviously leading all your efforts right now. But these strategic beta products are evolution of what you've been doing for many, many years. That's kind of what the essence of JP Morgan's yeah. all about. Strategic beta, or some people call it smart beta, people look at it right now and they see the number of products coming to market and they think it's a new thing. But actually, that's just product development. These concepts have actually been happening for decades. What I see it as is an evolution of our understanding how to capture an asset class systematically. Now that's very powerful because it means that what we're not relying on is just the track record of the last three years of a fund. The question is though, what is it solving for? Why is there even a need for an evolution in product? And I think it goes back to the opportunities that exist in market cap. Market cap was a great innovation when it became investable for clients because it made it accessible to the masses, and that was profound. But there are decades of investment management insights that are not incorporated into the market cap process. So, for example, market cap is prone to concentrations of risk. Think about the tech crisis. Over the tech crisis, 40% of the risk in a U.S. index was coming from technology. People were not trying to buy market cap taking a disproportionate bet on technology, but they were inheriting that. There's a huge opportunity to diversify those risk concentrations. Second opportunity, when you own market cap, you own everything, even if something doesn't make a lot of sense to own. You know, we point to Cisco at 222 times PE in the tech crisis. A value screen would have made a lot of sense. And so combining insights like that into an index what it means is you're just updating that index. I think of it almost like technology, like flying. Flying in the 70s was about getting from point A to point B. Accessibility was the innovation. Flying today, it's the experience. It's your Wi-Fi, it's your in-seat TV. That's what I think strategic beta is. It's the next generation of index that just updates the technology for the investment insights that have existed for decades. So let's talk about innovation, because as you point out, there's more opportunity, but what are some of the most exciting things that you're thinking about, or that, that you think five years from now, we're all in this room, mm -hmm. we're gonna be talking about and getting really excited about? I think low-cost access to alternatives is by far one of the most exciting things. And the reason I say that is because people have always thought about hedge funds as this untouchable asset class. It's been very hard to allocate to. And what do ETFs stand for? They stand for access, democratization of access. So being able to take hedge fund styles like equity long short, event driven, managed futures, and putting them in an ETF and making them investable with the click of a button at a low cost, that is profound. That has just disrupted a whole asset class. That's very exciting to me. Technology, I mentioned that. The rise of AI and what that will mean for investing, also very profound. So, in our alternative platform, we use a machine learning algorithm that scans the world of newspapers and, and news sources to help identify which stocks are most likely to be takeover targets. That is now the backbone of one of our ETFs. Think about that. Yeah. ETFs used to be, or have, again, often thought of as just market cap exposures, but think about what you can put in that vehicle. And that's very exciting because what it does is it democratizes access yeah. to technology that traditionally hasn't been available to everybody. You're talking about alternatives. Talk for a second about alternatives, opportunities in the fixed income space. Because right now, we're already starting to see rates creep. 
for years we've been talking about a rising interest rate environment that has never arrived is now the year and all these type of alternative strategies going to get more attention. Yes. I do believe we're going to see a structural change in the fixed income markets. And I think what that means is it goes back to the innovation we have to see happening in fixed income and ETFs to keep pace with that. Very interesting to me. Whenever I talk to clients and I ask them, what do you want in your fixed income exposure? A lot of them say, I want active management. I want active management, either fully active, I want quantitative. But then look at the ETF industry and look at the asset breakdown. What you'll see is less than 10% of the fixed income assets are in active and strategic beta. What does that tell me? That tells me there's a gap. And I think what that means is when, not if, when we move into the next regime in fixed income, the product set that exists for ETF investors hasn't totally caught up. There is innovation happening now, so I think we are well positioned for it. But that was exactly when we were thinking about opportunities in fixed income, one of the product development opportunities that existed for us. How do you take fixed income active management, which has been time tested in the mutual fund space, and deliver those capabilities to a client that maybe prefers or exclusively uses ETFs? That's another area, I think, of innovation that extends beyond just, I think, where the conversation is centered today a lot more on strategic beta or smart beta. You touch base on due diligence and the point that with more choices requires that much more work. So for the average money manager, the average advisor who's embracing ETFs, that's fantastic, but there's so many choices. What are these major hurdles as far as the average advisor, institution, investor out there? With all these great choices, how do you make it simple? How do you ultimately get to the point where you're making the best decision? Yeah, I think there's a couple things. The first is investors hate back tests. So yeah. this will solve itself in some sense when you get more track record. Because now you don't have to talk to a client to say, well, we can deliver you X and Y because we did for the last 15 years in this back test that I knew it was going to deliver that. So a live track record will change the equation in that conversation. And we're getting there. We are seeing some of these products are gathering two, three, four, five years of track record. So we're moving away from just the back test conversation. But secondly, it's about helping a client understand their portfolio. All types of clients, advisors, institutions, very few of them understand their factor footprint. Now here's what's important. Factors drive portfolio returns. And most people in their portfolios have a limited number of factors. They have equity beta, they have credit, they have duration. Wouldn't you want more diversification? You diversify your equity exposures across regions, you diversify across asset classes, factors is another lens. Now the problem with investors though is that it's not easily accessible for them to understand that. If you could just show to somebody what is your factor footprint, what that would help illuminate is actually you need more diversification at this level. Right now the way that your factors add up, you are tilting towards this and that's driving your portfolio returns. I think that's going to help with the conversation because right now it's very hard. You have to diagnose the problem before you can come up with a solution. Okay, switching gears. As an ETF nerd, I found it fascinating to hear a little bit about the story how JP Morgan got into the ETF space. What was the internal discussion about why are we getting into ETFs? It goes back to what we really started with, which is that our clients are increasingly using ETFs. It is a delivery mechanism of investment strategy. And what do we create? We create investment strategy. So point one was to be relevant in the client conversations that we want to be relevant in, which is all of them, 
if our clients are increasingly using ETFs as a vehicle, we have to be able to participate in that. But secondly, it goes to, can we add value? Where can we add value? And the where we can add value is the basis of this discussion we're having, which is differentiated investment solutions that help solve gaps in the market for clients. The alternative one to me is a shockingly glaring hole, fixed income, strategic beta. And so as we saw the market evolve into the space of differentiated solutions, what that felt for us was we have existing investment engines, 150 years of experience, $1.7 trillion in assets. What can we bring from the other parts of our business to this channel? And that was why we entered, because it was about delivering differentiated solutions. It's why, if you think of our product set, what have we built? We have 20 ETFs in market across fixed income, liquidity, alternatives, and equities. All of those are meant to be solutions that are supposed to be solving a gap in the market for clients. Flash forward five years. We're sitting here. What are going to be some of the most exciting things that this audience is going to be talking about in the ETF space? I think ETFs, breaking the linkage of ETFs equal market cap passive will have happened. It's happening, but still today, when you mention the word ETF, it's traditionally associated with market cap passive. Given the amount of innovation we're seeing from a product development standpoint and the acceleration of that really, I think that that will be a very different conversation. You have seen a number of new entrants come into the market. Since 2015, there have been 50 new entrants into the ETF industry. That's going to spark a lot of innovation. We're not talking ETFs. We're talking managers, right? Man sorry, managers. Yeah. In. Yes, managers. It is going to very much change the equation that will accelerate this conversation of ETFs don't equal market cap passive. That will be number one. The blurring of lines, though, as well, between vehicle and strategy, right, is another one, too. You'll see that people will start talking more about the strategy behind what you're delivering and not just the vehicle yeah. itself. Um, and I think you'll see a population of innovation happening in spaces that haven't to date really seen a ton. So the last five years have been about smart beta. And I think you'll continue to see a lot of interesting stuff there. But more importantly than that, it's extending those concepts into parts of the portfolio that haven't necessarily seen the same amount of innovation. The evolution of the ETF industry has made a strong case for indexing and active management's taken it on the chin in a big way. Five years from now, is that going to be the same or will we revert back to the mean? No, I think it's an and, not an or. Okay. I would also say that word index itself is in itself changing because yeah. of the active management insights that are getting inserted to it. All an index is is something that's rules-based and repeatable. You can put a lot of academic and research uh, insights into an index. The indexes created today aren't the S&P 500. No, they are the next generation of it. The thing that I'm most excited is I really think about it as updating the technology. It's, it's just a next version, the 2. really the 3.0 of an index itself. So I don't think that that conversation will really sound the same because people right now think of indexes as just market cap passive, but that's not the case anymore. Your generation, as far as how millennials are looking at ETFs, and uh, what's that going to mean to the ETF space? Millennials like ETFs. <laughs> that is a tailwind for growth for the ETF industry. It's a format of access that they prefer. It also helps quite a lot with smaller accounts when you think about what it means for an advisor to, to bring on that next generation of wealth. I think part of the reason we've seen such an adoption in the ETF space is for that client base that you want to start with now as they grow into their wealth, it's a very appropriate vehicle for them. 
again, I see it as a tailwind for it, and I think you know, the millennial generation will be a huge reason for growth. We've got hundreds of advisors in the audience right here. If you were to give them a couple pieces of advice going forward in the next few years, what would that be? Look at alternatives. <laughs> Clearly, I'm very passionate about that. I do think it, is, it would be a combination of look for the interesting innovations happening out there. ETFs don't equal market cap passive. Managers are coming out with some really exciting things to help build stronger portfolios. And in the markets we're moving into, those solutions will matter. Risk-adjusted returns, we talk a lot about very hard for an end client to relate to it. But when they start feeling volatility, they're going to hope that their portfolio has things in it that can really help them with that. The exciting thing is that ETFs can now solve that problem for you. Ten years ago, they really couldn't. Now, now they really can. Well, Yasmin, thanks for sharing your insights into the evolution and innovation of ETFs. This has been a blast. Look forward to getting together with you again soon. And thanks for listening to this episode of Welcome to the New Age, recorded live at the Inside ETF Conference in Hollywood, Florida. Thank you very much. This podcast brought to you by J.P. Morgan ETFs was produced by Bloomberg Media Studios. Bloomberg News is not endorsed by J.P. Morgan Asset Management. This document is a general communication being provided for informational purposes only. It is educational in nature and not designed to be a recommendation for any specific investment product, strategy, plan, feature, or other purpose. Any examples used are generic, hypothetical, and for illustration purposes only. Prior to making any investment or financial decisions, an investor should seek individualized advice from a personal, financial, legal, tax, or other professional advisor to take into account all of the particular facts and circumstances of an investor's own situation. The views contained herein are not to be taken as advice or a recommendation to buy or sell any investment in any jurisdiction, nor is it a commitment from J.P. Morgan Asset Management or any of its subsidiaries to participate in any of the transactions mentioned herein. Any forecast, figures, opinions, or investment techniques and strategies sent out are for informational purposes only, based on certain assumptions and current market conditions, and are subject to change without prior notice. All information presented herein is considered to be accurate at the time of production. This material has not contained sufficient information to support an investment decision and it should not be relied upon by you in evaluating the merit of investing in any securities or products. In addition, the user should make an independent assessment of the legal, regulatory, tax credit, and accounting implications with their own professional advisors. If any investment mentioned herein is believed to be suitable to their personal goals, investors should be sure that they obtained all available relevant information before making any investment. It should be noted that investment involves risks, and the value of the investments and the income from them may fluctuate in accordance with market conditions and taxation agreement, and investors may not get back the full amount invested. Both past performance and results are not a reliable indicator of current and future results. J.P. Morgan Asset Management is the brand for the asset management business of J.P. Morgan Chase & Company and its affiliates worldwide. International investing has a great degree of risk and increased volatility due to political and economic instability of some overseas markets. Changes in currency, exchange rates in different accounting, and taxation policies outside the U.S. can affect returns. Diversification does not guarantee investment returns and does not eliminate the risk of loss. Diversification among investment options and asset classes may help reduce overall volatility. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. J.P. Morgan ETFs are distributed by J.P. Morgan Distribution Services Incorporated, which is an affiliate of J.P. Morgan Chase & Company. Affiliates of J.P. Morgan Chase & Company receive fees for providing various services to the funds. J.P. Morgan Distribution Services Incorporated is a member of FINRA SIPC.